0: Working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana.
3: And financially supported by listeners
4: like you. Hello, and welcome to Eco Report for WFHB. I'm Don Guerra. And I'm David Lyman. Today we have an
3: environmental reporter news story about a northern Indiana steel mill pollution
4: lawsuit. In another feature, Norm Holy talks with Dr. Ray Schnapp about the Indiana Forest Alliance Eco Blitz. That's coming up later in the program, but first, your environmental headlines. In the scientists' declaration of support for nonviolent direct action, some 400 climate scientists, physicists, biologists, engineers, and other scientists from 20 countries endorsed Extinction Rebellion's civil disobedience campaign intended to force governments to take action on climate disruption. In London, about 20 of the signatories gathered to release the text of the declaration. A representative of the group read aloud, We believe that the continued governmental inaction over the climate and ecological crisis now justifies peaceful and nonviolent protest and direct action, even if this goes beyond the bounds of the current law. We therefore support those who are rising up peacefully against governments around the world, which are failing to act proportionately to the scale of the crisis, Though scientists like to be seen as impartial and are usually reluctant to take a stand on social issues, one member of the group said that many scientists feel that, as humans, they now feel they have a moral duty to take radical action. Russian scientists on an Arctic exhibition
3: have discovered methane boiling on the surface of the water that is visible to the naked eye. The research team from Tomsk Polytechnic University found the methane leak east of Bennett Island in the East Siberian Sea. The methane bubbles, which create a boiling appearance, spanned an area over 50 feet, the Telegraph reported. While the observed area is too small to cause any problems, it serves as a cautionary concern for the future. Methane is 28 times as effective at trapping heat than CO2, making it a dangerous greenhouse gas. The researchers attributed this methane to the melting of permafrost. Atmospheric methane concentrations are twice what they were 500 years ago, but are not high enough to be the principal contributor to warming. Carbon dioxide plays a much more important role in global warming. The scientists concluded that the methane did not come from the melting of methane hydrates which form in deep water where the pressures are high. Methane hydrates are ice which contains methane. There's sufficient methane in methane hydrates to make them combustible. Whether the methane spotted by the Russians comes from melting permafrost or from methane hydrates is an important distinction. A serious melting of methane hydrates would be a very serious matter. A melting event could raise the global temperatures, which could melt more methane hydrates. A cascading big melt could cause global temperatures to rise by several degrees. Methane hydrates are found widely in the oceans. They are very familiar to those involved in oil exploration in the ocean. The Deepwater Horizon oil spill in 2010 was partially caused by methane hydrates clogging the shutoff mechanism on the sea floor. It is not known what conditions would cause the melting of methane hydrates. When seeps are discovered, a true canary in the coal mine will have been
4: discovered. With over half a million species under threat of extinction, dramatic measures are necessary to protect them. One such measure is the Wildlife Corridors Conservation Act of 2019, a bill that would designate and maintain wildlife corridors around the U.S. The bill would link fragmented wildlife areas, enlarging the habitat for vulnerable species. The bill has bipartisan support in the House of Representatives, but needs urging by citizens to pass to the Senate. Wildlife corridors have had success in supporting safe seasonal migration, and enhancing access to food sources. In the Red Desert, wildlife corridors support the longest mule-deer migration in the U.S., permitting the animals to survive Wyoming's long, cold winters. Thousands of species depend on migration to survive. Wildlife corridors are critical to the safe and free movement of species between habitats. As the planet heats up and human activity disrupts animals' habitats, the number of species needing corridors to move to cooler climates and find food will increase. To mitigate climate
3: change, plant a tree, or several trees, according to a new study published in the journal Science. Around 2.2 billion acres of land worldwide would be suitable for reforestation, which could ultimately capture two-thirds of human-made carbon emissions. The Crowther Lab at ETH Zurich investigates nature-based solutions to climate change. In their latest study, the researchers showed for the first time where in the world new trees could grow and how much carbon they would store. Study lead author and postdoc at the Crowther Lab, Jean-Francois Bastien, explains: quote, One aspect was of particular importance to us as we did the calculations we excluded cities or agricultural areas from the total restoration potential as these areas are needed for human life, unquote. According to Professor Thomas Crowther, co-author of the study and founder of the Crowther Lab at ETH Zurich, quote, we all knew that restoring forests could play a part in tackling climate change, but we didn't really know how big the impact would be. Our study shows clearly that forest restoration is the best climate change solution available today. But we must act quickly, as new forests will take decades to mature and achieve their full potential as a
4: source of natural carbon storage. Next up, we have a news story on a northern Indiana steel mill pollution lawsuit from the Indiana Environmental Reporter.
5: Two Midwestern environmental advocacy groups have a Northwestern Indiana steel mill in their sights. They say the company that owns the mill has self-reported more than 100 Clean Water Act violations, but state and federal agencies have not taken any action against it. Now the groups say they're going to take on the mill's owners in court. Two environmental groups say they plan to sue a company responsible for more than 100 Clean Water Act violations in Northwestern Indiana. The Environmental Law and Policy Center and the Hoosier Environmental Council served Arcelor Middle, the Luxembourg-based owners of the Burns Harbor Steel Mill, with a 60-day notice of intent to file a Clean Water Act lawsuit against the company. The group say they decided to sue the corporation because state and federal agencies have not taken any action against it, even after a long pattern of repeated water quality permit violations. Jeffrey Hammonds is a staff attorney at the Environmental Law and Policy Center.
2: That we had been following this it seemed odd to us that you know you have this large steel mill that does have past violations of the clean water act but but the government hasn't really ever done anything about it and then august 2019 there was a big ammonia and cyanide spill from this facility that resulted in you know estimated 3,000 fish killed and that sort of elevated in our mind you know this isn't just you know past violations and, and potential ongoing violations that the government hasn't doing anything about now there's been this really big event, you know, that closed down beaches, including at the newly designated Indiana Dunes National Park. So that elevated it in our mind from, you know, serial violator to, you know, this is, you know, we're tired of basically seeing the government not do anything, and so we wanted to kick off the process to do something ourselves.
5: Middle admitted that a loss of power at a pump station for the blast furnace process water recycling system August 11th led to the discharge of ammonia and cyanide beyond the amounts allowed by the facility's Clean Water Act permit. In a non-compliance report submitted to the Indiana Department of Environmental Management soon after the spill, the amount of ammonia daily mass in concentrations were reported at nearly double permitted limits. Cyanide concentrations for August 13th were reported at .22 milligrams per liter, or 25 times a permitted limit. Subsequent reports detailed even more exceedances in the following days. Those reports were submitted to IDEM days or even weeks after they happened.
2: The- Underlying cause of these violations in August occurred on August 11th when their blast furnace lost power to its wastewater treatment process. But they never, they didn't, the company didn't even tell IDEM about the violations until August 15th. So you had this four-day lag. The first ammonia exceedances occurred on August 11th, the same day that the blast furnace lost power. But they didn't notify IDIM until August 15th. And based on a past review of their violations in the past and how quickly they've reported them, we have found instances where they did report it the next day. And so that tells us, you know, it's likely that they knew about these and they just didn't report it, and we don't think that's right.
5: Documents show that the ArcelorMittal Burns Harbor Facility may have been violating its permit for longer than it reported. Burns Harbor Facility to go back and analyze any 24-hour water samples from the past that the company may have preserved The company found that one sample from August 5th that was sent out for analysis still survived. That sample showed ammonia daily mass and concentration was nearly double the permitted limit even before the August 11th spill. The spill resulted in about 3,000 dead fish and closed down beaches and parts of the recently designated Indiana Dunes National Park. Indra Frank, Director of Environmental Health and Water Policy at the Hoosier Environmental Council says we're lucky the spill didn't harm people directly.
0: Fortunately, no people were, were injured in this particular release. But ammonia is highly irritating to the, the eyes, nose, and throat. And if it's inhaled, so if it were evaporating out of the water where it was spilled, inhalation can do damage to the lungs. Cyanide um, is damaging to the heart and uh, brain in particular. And at high enough doses, it's, it's lethal. We're lucky that, that, you know, there weren't any swimmers who were injured and that apparently the the cyanide and ammonia were diluted enough that it didn't have an impact on on drinking water. But, you know, there are are communities along Lake Michigan that get their drinking water from the lake, uh, including a drinking water intake that's not far from Arcelor Middle.
5: Idem told the Indiana Environmental Reporter that it is investigating the August incident. In a written statement, the agency said, quote, Upon completion of the investigation, the agencies will determine the appropriate enforcement actions to be taken. Until the investigation is complete, IDEM cannot provide more specific comment on future enforcement actions." End quote. The group said Item in action may be encouraging companies like ArcelorMittal to avoid fixing the cause of its permit violations. They reviewed reports submitted by the facility going back as far as January 2015 and found more than 100 instances where the company self-reported violations. The group say IDEM and the EPA have not seriously pursued the facility's violations.
0: It's important that there's a response to water pollution events like this, either from the state or from EPA. But when the two of them don't act, then there needs to be a response from from groups like ours. Um, We only resort to litigation as a last resort. But if there's there's no response, then there's no incentive for companies like ArcelorMittal to get out of this pattern of repeated um, pollution events.
5: Under the Clean Water Act, citizens have the power to file a lawsuit on their own behalf against any person, the United States itself, or any government organization or agency alleged to be in violation of wastewater discharge restrictions known as effluent standards. In order to sue, citizens must first give a 60-day notice to the alleged violator, the U.S. EPA, and the state in which the alleged violations occurred. At that point, the agencies can intervene and possibly force action. If they don't, the lawsuit can go forward. The group say they hope the notice of intent and the threat of a lawsuit encourages action.
2: You know, the ultimate outcome here is that we can figure out how to fix problems at the plant and prevent future violations. And so that will obviously benefit the people in the region that both live near it and also frequent the beaches and the water for recreation and sport and other, other things. So the idea is that they can figure out what are causing these problems and fix them so they don't happen in the future. So it's time for the government to do its job and if they don't, we will.
3: In the following feature, Noam Holy speaks with Dr. Ray Schnapp about the Indiana Forest Alliance EcoBlitz.
1: Interviewing Dr. Ray Schnapp, she is a biologist with the Indiana Forest Alliance, and they are at the beginning stages of what they call an EcoBlitz, which is basically trying to find out all of the species that are present in a certain area of Indiana forests, and uh, so the EcoBlitz just started um, early in the summer and will continue on for some time. Could you describe where the study area is? Yes,
6: it's in the Hoosier National Forest. It's a watershed that is um, known as the Combs Creek Watershed. And that watershed is uh, very much interior forest. There's just a couple of small farm fields and um, really no kind of urban development. So, um, And it's surrounded by national forests. So we're documenting the species that occur in this very interior forest. And it's going to be at least a three-year project to document the species and conduct these taxonomic surveys.
1: When was uh, that portion of the forest uh, last logged?
6: Oh, probably in the
1: 30s. And could you describe where the area lies uh, with respect to Bloomington?
6: It's um, east of Bloomington, about an hour's drive, because the roads are kind of circuitous. It's on the other side of Lake Monroe.
1: It's in the Monroe watershed, though?
6: Yes, parts of it are in the Lake Monroe watershed, mm-hmm.
1: The overall purpose of the study is is what?
6: Well, we're trying to document the diversity in this very interior forest that has not been managed by timber harvest to demonstrate that the forest can perform a lot of ecological functions, important habitat, and that management is not necessary. Management is sometimes like a euphemism used synonymously with timber harvest, but management doesn't necessarily involve timber harvest. Uh, Forests can be managed for old growth, for instance, and for providing habitat and recreation purposes. So there are a lot of different management approaches, but the state. The Division of Forestry is managing primarily for timber harvest and sort of justifying that by saying that it's necessary for forest health and we're trying to show that timber harvest and forest management are not needed for forest
1: health. I'm just curious whether there's any intention of doing all this accounting work so that, you know, considering that 1 million species of plants and animals are expected to go extinct in this sixth mass extinction. Is there just any part of the motivation just to chronicle what we have now versus what we don't have in the next 200 years?
6: Sure, yes. That's, um, you know, a big part of our thinking is that we need to document what we've got before it's gone, for sure. And there is no proposal to log in this particular area and this watershed, but many very similar areas are slated for logging. And so that is uh, a part of our rationale for doing this work. And then the other thing is that many of these areas ha- have not really been studied very thoroughly. So even in the past 200 years, like nobody has really been documenting what's out there. And so, for instance, we are documenting the diversity of um, moth species and bats and certainly plants and then not just trees, but the understory plants. And um, next year we'll be doing a lot with birds, and we are looking at fungi, just kind of cutting-edge stuff, because there's a lot that's not known about fungi. For,
1: for example... And even insects. So who, are, who for example, is doing the uh, herbivore surveys?
6: Well, we have teams of scientists that we're just kind of... Playing a coordinating role because we can't be experts in all these areas, and there are taxonomic experts in the state that we're calling upon to help us. And so we have some scientists from Hanover College, for instance, that have been very involved. Glennay Meinhart from Hanover has been doing the insect surveys, and keying out insect species is really, really challenging because some of them have not been described yet and do the good keys don't exist. So it's challenging work. And you were asking about herbivores. Did you mean mammals just in general? Because we like to think about insects as the beginning of the food chain. The insects are often eating the Either the leaves or the wood, the bark, the decaying wood. So that, that's really kind of like the first tier of consumers in the forest. And then there are, of course, many species that feed on the insects. Both birds and bats will eat a lot of insects. And even small mammals like the uh, mice and shrews will uh, feed on insects. And sometimes opossums and raccoons will also eat insects. So so that's really kind of the foundation of the food chain, and so we're really interested in that. And also um, we've been
1: quite interested
6: in pollinators, including bats and moths
1: and flies. Let me turn to some amphibians. Is Combs Creek a clear water stream?
6: Yes, not quite sure what you mean by that.
1: That is, there's not a lot, yes. of, lot of sediment? It, going into it?
6: Well, it runs very clear most of the time and we haven't been doing water quality testing on Combs Creek Watershed yet but certainly there is a concern that areas that are logged can produce a lot of sediment in the streams. This Combs Creek Watershed is quite steep in some places and That is, you know, a factor contributing to sediment runoff when logging occurs. Now, like I said, this area is not slated for logging. That's one reason why we're studying it. But many similar areas that have steep slopes are being logged, and we're really concerned about sediment runoff in those areas.
1: I'm I'm curious about, uh, apparently you you didn't spot any hellbenders, which I guess is consistent with... uh, the uh, view that the only hellbenders left in the state are in the in the Blue River. Uh, right. So, so I'm just curious why why there aren't hellbenders uh, in Combs Creek. Well, historically,
6: much of the land was cleared, though so it could be. I, I don't actually know if there were hellbenders ever in this area, though, because I think that we're kind of on the northern edge of their territory.
4: For WFHB, I'm Don Guerra. And I'm David Lyman.
3: Support for EcoReport comes from Blooming Foods Market and Deli, Bloomington's locally grown co-op grocery since 1976, offering products with a focus on local, fair trade, natural, and organic, with support for farmers, producers, agencies, and artisans. Blooming Foods Market and Deli on East 3rd Street near College Mall, West 6th Street near the
4: Courthouse Square, and Shreve Hall on the Ivy Tech campus. Are you looking for a way to make a difference on environmental issues? Here at EcoReport, we are currently looking for reporters and segment producers. Our goal is to report facts on how we're all affected by global climate disruption and the ongoing assaults on our air, land, and water. We are also celebrating ecologists, tree huggers, soil builders, and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world, particularly those who are active in south-central Indiana. All levels of experience and all ages are welcome, and we provide the training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. To volunteer for
3: EcoReport, give us a call at 812 323-1200, or email us at earth at wfhb.org. And now for some upcoming local events. Springville State Park will host a workshop for women landowners on Sunday, October 27th from 9 to 3 p.m. in the Lakeview Activity Center. The free workshop will concentrate on invasive species, how to identify and control them. For more information, call 812 812- 849-3534 or email Belt at sbelt at
4: dnr dot i n dot take the autumn owl prowl on sunday october 27th from 8 to nine thirty p.m at leonard springs nature park when the sun sets owls awaken to go in search of prey learn the mysteries of these amazing nocturnal hunters which species coexist in our area, and hope to hear or see one in action. Dress for the weather. Register at bloomington.in.gov parks.
3: The next Lunch with Nature is scheduled for Monday, October 28th, beginning at 11 a.m. at the Payne Town State Recreation Area at Monroe Lake. The subject is Going Nutty, where you will learn about nuts and the animals that eat them. Register by October 28th at bit.ly slash LWNOCT2019. For more information, contact Jill Vance at jvance at dnr.in.gov or call
4: 812-837-9967. Spring Mill State Park will host a workshop for women landowners on Sunday, October 27th from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. in the Lakeview Activity Center. The free workshop is presented by Danielle Williams and Samantha Dame from Pheasants Forever. The workshop will concentrate on invasive species, how to identify and control them. For more information, call 812-849-3534 or email Sherry Belt at s b e l t. At dnr.in.gov. our show for this week, Eco Report, is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water solar electricity and solar hot air systems, MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. They're found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com.
3: This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy and Linda Green. Today's local news story was produced by the Indiana Environmental Reporter. The feature interview with Dr. Ray Schnapp was produced by Norm Holy and edited by
4: Patrick Callanan. Juliana Daly compiled our events calendar. David Lyman wrote and edited the script. Patrick Callanan produced and engineered today's show. For WFHB, I'm David Lyman. And I'm Don Guerra.
3: And this is EcoReport.
2: That the Earth wants
1: you to hear.
0: Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas
3: directly to the Eco Report staff.
0: The email address is
3: earth at wfhb.org.
0: That's earth at <laughs>